I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To help us get to the truth of the matter about the latest in the Taliban declaring they're the government in Afghanistan, we have with us Dr. Seth Jones, head of our international security program, our Harold Brown chair, and a senior vice president at CSIS. Seth, you have a new op-ed in the Wall Street Journal this morning. It's Wednesday morning today in Washington. And I want to ask you, the Taliban have named a new government that includes Sirajuddin Haqqani as interior minister. And the last time I checked, Mr. Haqqani is on the FBI's most wanted list, and the U.S. is offering up to $10 million for his whereabouts leading up to his arrest. I guess we now know where he is. Andrew, I want part of that money now. <laughs> I can tell the FBI exactly where Sirajuddin Haqqani is. If you go to the FBI page on Siraj Haqqani, it says that he's thought to stay in Pakistan, specifically Miram Shah, North Waziristan, and that they're offering an award up to $10 million for information. Well, we now know since he's been appointed as the interim minister of interior, which is ironically essentially the FBI director of the new Taliban government. We know he's now in Kabul. And of course, he's also still has the $10 million bounty on his head because he is a U.S. designated terrorist. And that designation, even more interestingly, came under the Obama administration when Joe Biden was vice president. So, Seth, let's put this into context for a second. Siraj Haqqani is the son of the man who started the Haqqani Network. Tell us about what the Haqqani Network actually is. Well, I think it's probably helpful to start off with during the anti-Soviet period when the Mujahideen was fighting the Soviets with backing from the US, Pakistan, and others. One of the major Mujahideen commanders was an individual named Jalaluddin Haqqani. And his son, Siraj Houdin, who generally goes by Siraj, has become increasingly an influential individual in the Haqqani network. They operate out of eastern Afghanistan. Afghanistan is controlled in those areas by Pashtun tribes. The Haqqanis are members of the Zadran Gilzai tribe. And so they operate on both sides of the Afghan-Pakistan border. Interestingly, that location is also a hotbed for Al-Qaeda activity. So over the years, the Haqqani network has become the primary conduit within the Taliban for relations with Al-Qaeda. And as a number of UN Security Council reports have indicated in 2021 and 2020, so recently, the Haqqani network has had multiple meetings with senior Al-Qaeda officials across multiple different locations, mostly on the Pakistan, but also on the Afghan side of the border. So we often hear this term that the Haqqani network has close ties to Al-Qaeda. What, is, what does that mean in that sense that they have close ties? Well, what a very useful recent UN Security Council report indicated based on information provided by member states, uh, almost certainly Western member states, one could guess the British, the Americans or others, is that the Haqqanis embedded Al-Qaeda units, individuals, operatives, into their fighting forces on the ground. So one aspect of ties is actually integration into a fighting force. Some of the Al-Qaeda operatives are effective at putting together high-profile attacks, including suicide bombings. 
So there's everything from the intelligence that goes to looking at a target and conducting surveillance, getting a suicide bomber onto the target. They've been involved in that. Standoff attacks from mortars or other kind of standoff weapons. They've been involved in that kind of activity. So what's important to understand is the Haqqanis have utilized al-Qaeda directly in some combat operations. So some of the things the Haqqani network has been accused of in the past include plotting a 2011 suicide truck bomb in Wardock province that killed 77 American soldiers, as well as a 19-hour siege of the U.S. Embassy in Kabul that same year. What other things have they done that have been notable? Well, when you look, for example, at the FBI's most wanted, one of the incidents that the FBI and U.S. intelligence community highlight is that Siraj is wanted in connection with the January 2008 attack on a hotel in Kabul, Afghanistan, a hotel that I have stayed at several times. That particular attack in 2008 killed six people, including an American citizen. Siraj and the Haqqani Network are also believed to have been involved in coordinating and executing a range of attacks, including against the U.S. Embassy in Kabul, against the NATO International Security Force headquarters in Kabul, where I was at during one of the attacks. So I experienced the attack, as well as an assassination attempt on Afghan President Hamid Karzai, also in 2008. So just to be clear, the FBI puts Haqqani on its most wanted list because he is alleged to have American blood in his hands. Yeah, I'm just going to read this from the U.S. Counterterrorism Center. This is a description. Quote, the Haqqanis are considered the most lethal and sophisticated insurgent group targeting U.S. coalition and Afghan forces in Afghanistan. That's not a, that's not a weak statement there. That's really right to the point. It's a very clear statement that Siraj Haqqani and his Haqqani network have posed and continue to pose a direct threat to the United States. And when you look at up until the recent forming of the Taliban government, Siraj was the number two person in the Taliban. He was the first deputy to the emir, uh, Mullah Akhunsada. So he has up until recently played a very important senior role at the top of the Taliban leadership. And obviously now he will play an important role as the essentially equivalent of the FBI director in Afghanistan. And this is why you say in your piece for the journal, which, you know, again, appeared September 7th, you know, tongue in cheek, you start out the piece, quote, so much for a kinder and more enlightened Taliban. This isn't the kind of government that it seems like we could really do business with, does it? No, it doesn't, at least not at this point. There, interestingly, uh, no women. There are almost no non-Pashtuns. There had been some hope that maybe the Shia Hazara would get appointments or Uzbeks and Tajiks. There was one token non-Pashtun appointment. But to put an individual that is wanted by the U.S. as a designated terrorist as their most important internal security individual is a major slap in the face of the United States. And I think it poses a real dilemma on to what degree should the U.S. cooperate in any way, including providing financial assistance through the IMF, through the World Bank, through Department of Treasury, allow banks, U.S. banks, to provide assistance to the Taliban government now that it has someone like this 
in such an important role. So where does this leave the Biden administration? What can they do now? Because as President Biden and some of his top advisors have pivoted, and rightly so, the threat we're worried about now is terrorism. And as you and others have pointed out on this podcast, the threat really is that Kabul and larger Afghanistan is really going to become a breeding ground again for global jihad. So where does this leave the administration now and and what do they need to do? Well, some administration officials and, and some outside of the government had hoped that maybe we'd see a different Taliban, that it would become a kinder, gentler, more enlightened one. Maybe it would allow women in the government. Maybe it would allow girls up through secondary and even college to go to school. That's not what we're seeing. It's a very traditional, very conservative, frankly, a very extremist Taliban. And so I think what it means for the administration is I I think the U.S. needs to coordinate with its partners and allies, including in Europe, but also in Asia, South Korea and others that have historically provided assistance, aid to Afghanistan that it needs to denounce the appointment of Siraj Haqqani. This is unacceptable. A government that the U.S. might at some point work with cannot have a designated terrorist in a cabinet-level position. So it needs to denounce it. I think the U.S. cannot recognize this government either, including allowing this government to get a seat at the U.N., including participate in U.N. meetings. It has a identified terrorist, again, in a senior position. I also think at this point, the Biden administration has got to prevent significant amounts of aid, actually any aid from the U.S., from its allies and partners, and from international financial institutions from being directed to the Taliban government with these kinds of individuals in its leadership. So for a little just quick background, when the Taliban overthrew the Afghan government, the international community froze the assets of the Afghan government and paused providing crucial financial aid. That included International Monetary Fund and World Bank funding, which froze dozens of projects and said that Afghanistan would be ineligible for loans until a government was formally recognized. I do not think the U.S. should formally recognize this government. And so I think that's at least those are some of the, the key steps I think the administration should take now. Is that leverage that the Taliban will respond to? It's unclear for two reasons. One is the Taliban historically hasn't really cared that much. They were willing actually by the end of the 1990s only to be recognized really by one major government, Pakistan. Right. Uh, this, uh, Saudi Arabia had asked the Taliban to hand over Osama bin Laden. Mullah Omar, the head of the Taliban, had refused. So the Saudi government took away bin Laden's passport and then refused to recognize that government. So historically, they haven't cared when it's conflicted with, the, with their ideology. The second reason is that the Taliban does have some backing, including diplomatic backing today from China and Russia and Pakistan. So if those governments are willing to provide assistance, then the Taliban may say at the end of the day, fine, if the U.S. doesn't want to provide assistance, we'll get it from somewhere else if the Chinese, the Russians, Pakistan are willing to provide that assistance. So instead of bailing out the new government, the United States needs to treat the Taliban as the pariah that it is, is what you're suggesting in your piece and now. So what do we need to do in terms of the terrorism piece going forward? 
You, you know, you've also pointed out, and I wanted to ask you about this, the Haqqani Network has reportedly met with the Al-Qaeda's leader, Ayman al-Zawahiri. What does that all mean for, you know, us going forward as we try to root out these terrorists before anything bad happens to us? Well, what it means is that Siraj Haqqani and his network have close, active relations with the same organization that conducted the September 11th attacks in 2001. And these relations, just to put a, a fine point on it, they've met as recently as 2020, correct? They've met as recently as 2021. The UN report that I highlighted had a half a dozen meetings between 2019 and 2020. But I'm told by a range of different individuals in government agencies in the US and across European governments that they met repeatedly throughout 2021. So up until now, essentially. So this is really something that has the utmost urgency because we're not talking about terrorism in the abstract. We're talking about terrorism coordination now at the highest level of government in the Taliban right now, right in front of us. I think there's a time horizon issue. I, at this point, it's probably not likely that we'll see attacks immediately against the U.S. homeland or U.S. interests abroad, including embassies. Remember in 1998, U.S. embassies in both Kenya and Tanzania were hit by al-Qaeda based out of Afghanistan at that point. But it took a little bit of time for groups like al-Qaeda and then the Islamic State when it started to appear in 2014 to build an external operations capability. So that will take some time. I think what the U.S. needs to start to do with this kind of government in Afghanistan, with senior officials now, with direct relationships with terrorist groups that threaten the U.S., is the U.S. has got to figure out how to collect better intelligence and build and rebuild its architecture, how to base assets near or even inside of Afghanistan, and how to start to find partners in the country. We, there are some resistance movements, including those led by Ahmed Massoud. It looks like they're probably going to be dislodged from the Panjshir where they currently operate. But look, having spent as much time as I have in Afghanistan, the Taliban will never be able to control such a large terrain with deserts and mountains. So the question is, you know, resistance groups can be in multiple areas of the country. I think the U.S. needs to figure out a way to get some basing and drones either in the country or negotiate successfully centra Central Asian governments or others. That's interesting. So while we don't see signs of something imminent, we know there's a, a threat. What else can the United States do in the meantime as we try to figure out what the pieces are here to, to really, you know, steel ourselves and our allies against this, you know, growing threat? Well, I think what the U.S. can also do is make it clear to the Taliban that there may be a way forward of relations with the Taliban based on a couple of different conditions. One is they cannot have individuals like this in their government. They just, they can't. That's non-negotiable. Second, I think the Taliban has to continue negotiations, much like we've seen over the last two to three years, with a range of individuals that had served in the Afghan government. We've seen former President Hamid Karzai express interest, Abdullah Abdullah, former CEO of Afghanistan. We have a number of senior officials 
in now former officials that are Uzbeks and Tajiks and Hazaras. So I think, you know, a more inclusive government. I think, Andrew, it's highly unlikely that the Taliban is willing to do this, particularly so close to their military victory. So I think assuming they decline both of those things and they keep Siraj in and they actually don't form an inclusive government, then I think the U.S. has got to put itself in a position where it can take care on its own of threats coming from Afghan soil. So that means we need to really take stock and think about who is the most dangerous and maybe possibly take them out. I think as we saw during the Bush, Obama, Trump, and even early parts of the Biden administration with attacks in Syria, for example, I think the US, if there are direct threats to the US homeland, I think the US government needs to consider what the best steps are to take those individuals out. Let me ask you this, Seth. How does ISIS-K factor into all this? ISIS-K had been weakened pretty considerably up to the Taliban victory in Kabul. The challenge now is that as the Taliban government is forming, there may be some breathing room. Historically, since ISIS-K's emergence in Afghanistan in 2014, the group has been an enemy of the Taliban, and it was an enemy of the previous Afghan government. So there was active fighting between the US, the Afghan government, and ISIS-K, as well as between the Taliban and ISIS-K. Their numbers went down probably from four to 5,000 down to about 2,000. We may see a resurgence. At the very least, what we can see with the attacks that killed 13 Americans, including mostly Marines, they do have the ability to conduct attacks in almost all areas of Afghanistan, certainly almost any urban area, including the capital city of Kabul. So they also present a threat. And it, it'll be a, certainly a question to what degree would the Taliban be able to vanquish them? The US couldn't, the Afghan government couldn't, the Taliban certainly couldn't even stop them from conducting the attack at the Kabul airport. So I have doubts that any Taliban government is going to be able to eliminate ISIS-K. Seth, Thank you for helping us get to the truth of the matter on this issue. The new Taliban cabinet, we'll have to keep watching this space, and I know you'll be back on Truth of the Matter to help us figure it all out. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Andrew. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 